Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All right, digital transformation, data analytics, AI, chat GBT, automation. I don't know how many other words we need to add, but those are certainly the buzzwords today. And I'm betting your company has been on a digital transformation journey for probably a couple of years. I'm also betting that you still wonder what that means for you and maybe even what it means for your company. So today we've got answers for you, as in what it means for you, not answering what it means for your company, but we want to talk specifically about what it means you should be doing as a leader. What do you need to know? What do you need to do? Who do you need to know? How do you lead your team through those kind of transformations in very practical terms, not in grand theoretical terms? So my guest today is Brian Spieshek. He's a research associate at Harvard's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, and he's the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. He's with that school as well. He's also an independent consultant and an author, and the book we're talking about is Computational Leadership, Connecting Behavioral Science and Technology to Optimize Decision-Making and Increase Profits. Um, and I think this book I love, obviously, or else I wouldn't have him on the show, but what an important topic. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Delight. It's a delight. This is so important. I So I started, the, let me start before I dig into this one. Why do you care about this topic? And I said digital, you say computational. Why? Well, let me just start uh, with just saying why it matters to me. And then we can talk about the difference between say digital and computational. Uh, for me, it matters because this is the driving force behind transformative change in our world right now. The integration of technology, data has revolutionized every industry. It is shaping the way we live, we work and, and interact. It's also extends beyond business and it impacts so many societal challenges from healthcare advancements to sustainable solutions. So understanding and embracing digital transformation helps leaders shape a better future for their organizations, for their communities, and, and, and more importantly, perhaps, for the world at large. So as a result, effective leader, it, leadership in, in this digital era is crucial to navigating the challenges and opportunities uh, that arise. So in a nutshell, that's why it matters to me, because it yeah, matters to everyone. <laughs> well, it needs to matter to everyone. And it's here, whether we like it or not, it's here and it will have an impact on us, whether we understand it today or not. I agree with you with that one. All right. Um, digital computational. There's so many words that get used, data analytics, AI, automation, digital. What, like, help me understand the playing field here. What, and why do you choose the word computation? Yeah, so that's the second part here. So there, there is a there's method to my madness in using the word computational over digital when it comes to leadership. Uh, I, I'm using the term to encompass uh, the broad spectrum of activities, processes, and systems 
that involved the use of computers, algorithms, and data processing. So the word computational emphasizes the fundamental role of computing in our digital age, from, from just very basic calculations to complex simulations, from the automation that we're all working towards to machine learning, these computational methods and technologies are at the core of modern problem solving and decision making. They encompass uh, a broad range of activities and disciplines that leverage computing power to analyze all this data floating around us, to solve all the problems that are emerging and enable digital transformation. So simply put, computation, be it machine or biological, governs what we do uh, and how we do it. Okay. All right. So computational because computers are at the heart of how we make the decisions, regardless what it is we're trying to do in the service of those decisions or what the methodology is that we're using to get there. And so there's this deep computing component that is driving all the changes and transformations. I simplified what you said very eloquently. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, but uh, one of the most important aspects of, of computation in a computer is, you know, in between our years. So, yeah. you know, in, in every way, shape and form, we're, we're using computers and we're computing uh, either heuristically in our head or, or with the aid of machines. So it, I think it captures uh, more completely rather than digital, that connection uh, between human machine interactions. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me now. I get that one. Um, I, a lot of people have been anxious. Does AI take away their jobs? Are we going to have fewer jobs? I mean, there's a huge speculation about that going on in the world. I just remind everybody, we thought that when the PC was invented, IBM is famous for quoting that we'll all have a 20-hour work week. Clearly, that is not what has happened. (laughs) When email came, we thought that that would simplify our lives and we would do less. And when Zoom and Microsoft Teams and whatever else comes in, we thought that meant we would stop traveling and simplify our lives. Every time we add technology, it seems all we do is make it more complex. (laughs) So I don't think we're going to be out of a job anytime soon. I don't know how you see that one. Yeah, no, we're not going to be out of a job. What we're going to do is our jobs are going to get fundamentally redefined. And and again, I think this is why I emphasize that aspect of computational, because it's going to be how well we interact or co-create with machines and and, and AI. Uh, That's going to be the game changer for us. And and that's what we need to learn how to be more effective at is collaborating with our, our, our digital counterparts, as it were, uh, to create the next level change that is just on the horizon. It's the stuff that uh, I think about just before I go to bed and the first thing I think about when I wake up. <laughs> I can tell the passion. All <laughs> right. So um, I said at the beginning, at the open of this, that I see so many people use the words digital and they drop digital in. I'm not seeing computational yet. I hope you're successful with that one or data analytics. And it feels to me like the days of 30 years ago when we wanted to all be suddenly global or strategic. And we just, especially in business schools, dropped the word strategic in front of every course that we were offering or global in front of every course, not that we necessarily changed it very much, but as if using the word made it real. And I get the sense that's what we're doing with digital now, but I'm interested in your point of view. What are you seeing? Are you seeing real transformation or just a lot of talk? I'm seeing 
early stages uh, of that. But indeed, you raise a very valid concern about sort of the superficial use of terms like digital and AI. It's very easy to use those terms without having any real change or impact behind that. So it's true that simply adding these buzzwords without any sort of genuine understanding or commitment to digital transformation uh, can lead to, will lead to limited results and missed opportunities. And that is something that I sort of noticed. And, and where I see that coming in, in the most from a leadership perspective is uh, some leaders view technology and digital initiatives as solely the responsibility of the IT department. So it's just digital, pass it off to IT. But unfortunately, <laughs> that leads to a, a really passive approach where leaders wait for IT to provide them with the innovative solutions rather than actively driving change uh, themselves. And that's not leadership, Wanda, right? It's, it's right. on the other hand, effective computational leadership involves uh, proactive engagement, uh, a deep understanding of sort of digital technologies uh, and, and building a culture that fosters innovation and encourage, and I can't stress it in this, cross-functional teams to explore and implement digital solutions. So ultimately, I'd say it's all about embracing digital transformation as a strategic imperative and empowering the entire workforce to drive meaningful change. It's not about just a buzzword and then passing that techie stuff off to the techie people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like I have a couple of organizations that have been in this uh, language and journey for a while and everybody uses the word and maybe they're reduced their paper, but I'm not sure it's fundamentally changed their processes. I'm not sure it's brought together different cross-functional teams. I'm not convinced that they've done anything other than mass large databases and maybe use those databases for one or two small test cases. But what you're talking about is taking the computational power, putting a cross-functional team in conjunction with a tech capability and saying, how do we use this capability to solve this problem? Do I get you right? Exactly right. It's all, it, what it's ultimately going to do is make us drive a, a deeper understanding of what are the systemic challenges and contradictions that are in our organization, such as the trade-off between speed and quality sometimes, or people versus profit, and then really, really putting a spotlight on our priorities so we know what are the the tech investments that we need to invest in, because this can be pricely and costly if, if done incorrectly. So we need a, a good starting point. And that starts with understanding your, your business and then knowing how to connect that technology to drive your needs. Okay. All right. So give me an example. So an example uh, is, for instance, say in, in healthcare, leaders need to understand the potential of technology to, to improve, say, patient outcomes and operational efficiencies, such as leveraging things like telemedicine platforms to enhance access to care and streamline remote consultation. Uh, so again, but these are these are efforts, efforts about uh, reducing costs and improving performance. It's not about the, it's the, the features, it's about the solutions. And, and, and we have to know what we need to solve first, and, and right. then we can start talking about the tech. Okay, so I can imagine all a lot of places in healthcare 
where tech computational methodologies would be enormously useful. So reaching people without having them have to come to a clinic. So the telemedicine, I can imagine some data analytics. I know as a fact that gets deployed to say, what's the best solution for this kind of population in this sort of situation? Um, I can imagine all sorts of places. But if I think about, like I'm sitting in the UK at the moment, we're having a junior doctor strike because of pay and anesthesiologist, as I would say in the US, an anesthetist, I think they say here, but at any rate, that person, we can't automate that job yet because it's such a high touch monitoring system. There's a lot of tech we could add to it, but there's only so far we're going to go to solve the problem of we don't have enough anesthesiologist to do the job. So it's interesting that you have to say where can, what problems can we apply tech to and what problems are we unlikely to solve with tech? Or do you disagree with me? No, I, I agree. I think that it's always looking at how tech is going to enable and augment a human performance in many ways, especially when it's it's about a human to human relationships. Uh, a place like healthcare, that's a, a very good example where it's, it's very human to human. Uh, and there we should be looking for technology to augment and enhance our uh, abilities, uh, not to replace humans. Okay. All right. So let's talk about what it is you think leaders need to understand in yeah. order to really be prepared yeah. to participate in these cross-functional teams or put them together or actually engage in digital, digital transformation. So what do they need to know? And I'm going to start at the top. What do they need to know about technology? Yep, we'll start with there and we'll work our way down. Yep. Um, so yeah, so I think this goes back to what I just said is like, you have to know how and what technology to use and when to use it. And I refer to this technology as digital golf clubs in a way. Uh, you just, that's what they are. They're, they're, they're just clubs in a bag and you have to know which one to use for which shot. You know, you don't want to be hacking away at a golf ball in a sand trap with a $2,000 driver. It's, it's a waste of resources and it's ineffective. So. Ultimately, leaders need to have a solid understanding of technology and its potential impact on their organizations. That doesn't mean that, that we all have to become software engineers and data scientists, and we don't have to all know how to program using Python, but leaders need to at least dip their toe in the digital water to get that solid understanding uh, of what the technology is and its impact on their organization. They should, uh, they should also keep abreast of emerging technologies and trends and best practices uh, relevant to their industries. So they know what to invest in and what risks to uh, avoid. And I think that's super important. And, and, and I think that's where it goes back to, for instance, in healthcare is trying to, or, or any industry for that matter, is leaders need to just have a, a good firm understanding of how technology addresses their, their needs. Uh, so again, you don't want to be hacking away uh, at a golf ball in a sand trap uh, with the driver. It, it won't get you where you need to go. Yeah. So how? All right. So granted, understanding what the different technologies are, how they would get used, and a little bit about what it takes to deploy them helps you understand, does this tech fit the problem I'm seeing? Okay? Yep. Nobody has time. <laughs> so how do you advertise people? I recommend people get that sense. Yeah, I mean, so this is where I think there's going to 
need to be new leadership coming into organizations, either coming in as advisors, like sort of some of the roles that I do, or, or having sort of permanent leadership positions with your new organization, like chief AI officers or chief human-centered digital transformation officers. I know that is a, a mouthful, and, and we could think about how to word that, but I think that's we have new technology. We're going to need new types of leadership that are specifically there to address this change that have that resource and time to do that, that can support, that can speak directly to the CEO, uh, the CIO to, to help guide that change. Gardner, for instance, a big firm uh, has recommended just this setting up that kind of team so that organizations don't over or under pivot with AI, for instance. So I think that's going to be something that we'll have to see in the future is some new leadership roles emerging. Okay. I'm going to ask you an unfair question. If you okay. don't want to answer it, you can say uh, uh, pass. But when you look at data analytics, so yep. massive data sets, asking an intelligent question of that data, doing some computation around the data, some statistical analysis, some presentation of that data, where are data analytics really suited as a tool? Oh, <laughs> I think we might need a whole separate podcast uh, for that. But I mean, data analytics is uh, just an important piece of the puzzle for guiding change, right? So it's it's one step in a process of first understanding business needs, uh, having good solid models, say for instance, of, uh, of people and psychology, if we're talking about things like say motivation and burnout, uh, that those models then provide the framework uh, upon which we can start streaming in data. And that's where the data analytics can come in to start giving us some insights about say, understanding the dynamics uh, of burnout uh, at an individual level at scale, which is exciting because that's what data analytics can now offer us. And then being able to leverage those insights to improve things like engagement and reduce unfortunate things like burnout and being able to monitor that in real time. And again, I can't stress it enough. And I think that's where this is all going to go. Being able to create interventions that are tailored to individuals at scale though, at real in real time. So that's the role that analytics has to play. It's, it's part of a chain. It's not separate. It's part of a continuum of from needs to, to, uh, to action. All right. So needs, solutions. And I love what you said about it. It's um, individual um, tailored in interventions that are tailored to individuals, but delivered in real time. At scale. So, at scale. All right. Which we've been talking about mass customization for eons. And yeah. this feels like this is the first time we might actually have the tools of understanding what that could look like and how to do it in yeah. real time. Definitely. So interventions tailored to individuals in real time and at scale. Yep. Okay. And so I guess if you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about what problems do I have where better individual solutions would be useful, that's where I want to assemble a cross-functional team and say, how is my tech capability going to allow me to do this? Understand it, deliver it, keep it at scale. Uh -huh. Is that fair? Okay. Uh, completely. <laughs> Let's talk about another one, chat and GPT. Now, everybody I'm talking with in my competitor set is experimenting with chat GPT and me included. I have a sense of where I think it's going to be useful to me in my personal business. 
but I certainly can't tell my clients where I think it's going to be useful in there. So what are you seeing? Where are you seeing that that is a solution that could be really useful? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I, I think it's a really personal journey. Um, and I often get that question, you know, how can we use this? How can we use this? Uh, again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but it really comes back to sort of what are your challenges and needs? Uh, something like ChatGPT is fantastic for generating reports, for uh, problem solving and troubleshooting. So for instance, um, ChatGPT uh, is slowly going to morph and, and we'll have access to this. Uh, Microsoft is releasing something called Business Chat. And what that what will help you with is help you say, for instance, and I'll just give you one example because there's many, yeah. uh, developing a strategy and then uh, troubleshooting and trying to poke holes in that strategy uh, and, and then trying to um, find solutions. So that concept of doing a pre-mortem, you know, the idea of coming up with a solution, trying to think about as many ways that it can go wrong and then thinking about solutions before you actually even start your strategy. Uh, you could do this uh, digitally uh, with this AI assistant. Uh, and I think that's gonna be one of those major things. This, th These large language models, not just ChatGPT, whatever emerges, it's going to be an amazing um, virtual or digital assistant to help us do those things like help rapidly develop strategy because we don't have time to do that and rapidly look for problems in that strategy and then rapidly find solutions before we ever even uh, start deploying. All right. My view, and I am not the specialist that you are, but I can see ways in which chat GPT or any of the, as you rightly say, any of the other languages that will emerge is gonna help us think broadly, throw out wild speculations, some of which are not gonna be reasonable, they're gonna be nonsensical, but it's like it gets to automate generating random ideas, putting random ideas together. So I could see it as becoming a piece of a brainstorming tool or a brain a testing what could be possible sort of tool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th that's kind of what I mean with the strategy idea. It's about co-creation and divergent thinking, and it's it's being able to leverage somebody with ac somebody virtual a virtual somebody with access to you know the internet worth of data to help you think creatively. And it, it, but again, that goes back to like leaders need to know their business very well because some of the things that these these models spit out are outlandish and completely not feasible. Right. And, and so if you don't know your business very well. You could you could end up following that down a very you know downward spiral in a dark path. Right. Uh, I, I, like lawyers, for, there were lawyers in New York, I believe, recently uh, that used ChatGPT to help kind of like come up with uh, some research they were doing, and, and they filed th this report in, in, in court uh, that had a bunch of citations to work that never existed, and they, and they, because they weren't paying attention and, and using they weren't using the AI as a co-pilot. Remember right. that you're in charge, so you have to really make sure it's great for creativity, but it, it doesn't spit out lies, uh, and it can do that. So if you don't if you don't pay attention um, and put on that guardrail for yourself, then you run into these problems like lawyers who just got sanctioned, and you know that's not good for the reputation, right. and it wouldn't be good for your reputation as a leader either. So great for big thinking, but you still have to be the leader at the center of all that. Right. I know for me and my experimentation. I write some bullet points and can spit that out and have it come back to me with an article written out of those bullet points. Mm -hmm. What it does for me is give me a structure. Yeah. 
and it gives me a few sentences, but largely I've got to go back in with a heavy editing in order to make sure that I'm conveying a message I actually believe in and care about. But it is interesting to see the alternative structures that it produces. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's great. It gives you great ideas. But but like you, I, I mean, at the same time, I, I want whatever I, I put out uh, to reflect me and my voice. So yep. again, a good sort of like loose guide, a good companion to help troubleshoot. And you literally can come up with a strategy and, and, and say, help me destroy this strategy and wh- where can it go wrong? And, and, and it'll give you ideas that I've never thought about that. That's fantastic. So it has so many, so many, so much good to offer, okay. provided again, you don't take yourself out of the center uh, of this okay. loop. Okay. All right. Let's talk about my favorite, which is automation. Okay. I think this is the one that is so underutilized because there's tiny little things in the course of your day that you can automate, automate responses to some kind of emails automate ways in which emails propagate your calendar. I guess most people have that already. There's just so many things like algorithms in a spreadsheet that you use routinely automate it. It feels like there's just tiny little ways of automating with technology that's been around for a really long time. Where are you seeing automation really take off? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, again, it's it's really Industries are, are vary in that. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd have to really think about this. Where, where do I think that automation is is really really taking off uh, in in uh, sort of in this space? I, I think one thing that's that's pretty exciting about automation now is ChatGPT just um, had something released something called Code uh, Interpreter, I believe it's called. Uh, So this will potentially help us automatically analyze data and get data visualizations with very minimal uh, effort. Uh, So here we we can create uh, data visualizations, uh, dashboards, uh, very, very rapidly now to do these data analytics uh, in a much more automated way. So we can take all that data that's been emerging, that's been building up, building up, and now do something I think more profound with it. So I think that's gonna potentially be one of the exciting things to keep keep an eye out for. Exciting, all right. Now, I know knowing the technology, so you're not advocating that people become experts in the technology, you're just advocating that they understand where their industry is using it, kind of what this stuff is about, um, and then being prepared to say, where could we consider using this? Am I understanding your argument here? Yes, I, I think it's understanding these opportunities uh, that, that are emerging, keeping an eye out, like how I can potentially apply these tools. Uh, again, that's so you can understand where the opportunities are, but also to understand where the risks are. Okay. All right. Okay, and any sources that you think are really useful for helping people come up to curve? Are there reading sources? Are there? You know what I use. You know what I use, and I find this to be amazing. I have a really, really well curated, amazing LinkedIn network, Uh, and I find uh, if you get past all of the scrolling about videos of you know um, something that's trying to just catch your attention, there's a lot of people out there in that LinkedIn community. I'm not just. a proponent of LinkedIn, but I, I, this is one works for me. There's a lot of people out there sharing really, really exciting stuff 
that they're on the forefront of it. It's coming out daily from everything from uh, responsible AI to understanding these innovations like this code interpreter I just mentioned. This is where I keep up to date with everything that's going on. And I just make sure I curate it to the industries and the groups and the people that I'm most interested in. Great tip. All right. I love that one. All right. Let me ask yeah. one more before we take a break, which is, all right. So there's the technology side. That's only one part of the leadership side. The other thing is the people side. Yep. So if we're going to do these cross-functional teams that are trying to use uh, computational methods for solutions at scale, individually focused, what do we need to understand about the people? <laughs> Everything. This is my bread and butter. This is where I, I, so my background, my PhD is in social and organizational psychology. Uh, and, and I've been running psychology experiments since I think I was about 10 years old. I'm weird that way. Uh, when others were doing sort of the volcano, uh, I was doing creativity experiments uh, in my first science fair. Uh, so I'm biased here. I just want to kind of preface. I'm but, with you. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I think the people in organizations, that's, that's the core of everything and, and, and your customers are the core of everything. So leaders need to recognize that digital transformation is not solely about the technology. It's equally, if not more about the people. And it's again, it's what I refer to as human centric. It's what others refer to as well, human centric digital transformation. They must, 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 must understand the needs, expectations, the stressors, and the behaviors of their employees, customers, and other stakeholders, right? So because this understanding, um, it helps leaders, by having that understanding, it helps leaders design and implement digital strategies that align with the preferences and demands of their target audience. Uh, uh, so for instance, leaders should understand the importance of user experience or UX design mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to implementing things like AI-powered chatbots, which we've talked about, and how they can impact and potentially destroy user satisfaction and loyalty. And I have a good example, I think will probably come up in this talk at some point about how chatbots have effectively destroyed an organization's um, uh, loyalty and satisfaction with at least their employees and potentially with their users. All right, I can't let that cliffhanger go. Tell us what happened, please. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, this is a good example of what, uh, I hate to use the word failure looks like, but mm -hmm. it, it's not good, Wanda. It's not good. <laughs> Let's just say that. So uh, an example, this example is from the National Eating Disorder Association. And again, I first heard about this on LinkedIn. I really, really get so much valuable information from there. Um, so it comes from the National Eating Disorder, uh, National Eating Disorder Association and their chatbot called Tessa that happened to unfortunately go rogue. So here, here's okay. the story. So they informed their helpline staff that uh, they would be disbanding that group after decades of service. And instead, they were going to rush in and, and just rely on Tessa to do all, all the services uh, uh, for th that would normally be done by people of the helpline. Right. However, and here's the however part, uh, just days, days before laying everyone off, it was discovered that their chatbot was encouraging people that were kind of kind of coming in and asking questions, encouraging people with eating disorders to count their calories and lose one to two pounds per week. Now, this is the exact opposite of the advice you want to give people with eating disorders. So now they have a, a bot that, that is dangerous and, and likely very, very unsatisfied employees. 
further, th th this has opened them up to a huge amount of risk. And it represents a complete failure when it comes to uh, to safety. So what if, Wanda, somebody would have taken uh, that chatbot's advice? Uh, it is a prime example of what Gardner calls over-pivoting uh, when it comes to digital transformation. So th there's, there's that horror story that I hope most people uh, uh, listen to and think about before they kind of jump straight into deploying their chatbots. Right, right. For anybody who's never touched eating disorders, you know, bulimia, anorexia, for example, are at the top of the list. The last thing you want to have either of them doing is thinking about their calories and about how they lose weight. Mm -hmm. There may be other eating disorders where that might be relevant. I have no idea. I'm not a specialist in that. But at least for those two primary ones, the worst thing you could give advice. So how, do you know how they managed to create a chatbot that would give this level of advice? Yeah, I don't want to get into like too many of the details because I, 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 I haven't deep dived into all of the technical aspects of it. Uh, the short story, and I recommend your listeners to, to check it out if they're really interested, is apparently there were some last minute changes with a third party provider uh, in terms of training. Uh, and, and this is what led to uh, this unexpected flip in Tessa's behavior. Uh, again, though, I, I recommend interested uh, listeners to go and check this out for themselves. From my perspective, it's well, first off, it's easy to blame the third party provider because that's what we always do. It wasn't us, it was them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but from my point of view, you know, your whole starting point is this needs to be a cross functional team on how we're going to use this AI or this technology in order to solve problems at scale. And it sounds to me like they didn't employ their helpline people in thinking about what could be used in this in this bot, how they would go about doing it, what it would look like, what the advice would be. It just feels like that piece was missing. Now, again, I have no idea. Maybe they did that and it was just pure accident. But if ever there was a cause for a cross-functional team, there is one. That's a good example. It's something tells me, uh, and there's a bit more to that story. And again, it's it's worth the read. Okay. But they did not take advantage of that tacit knowledge that's been built up over decades, uh, and, and that's an ex perfect example, as you point out, where it's a failure to build that cross-functional team, and it's okay. right there. They're, they're they're literally sitting there waiting for you to to engage them. Right. Yeah. All right. So human centered is where you're going. Human centered yes. first. Yes. Tailored to individual needs in real time at scale. Yep. I got it. All right. This is a perfect <laughs> place to take a break, Brian. So my guest today is Brian Spisak. The book we're talking about is Computational Leadership, Connecting Behavioral Science and Technology to Optimize Decision-Making and Increase Profits. And we'll be right back. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website, 
at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Brian Spisak. He is, I should say, a research associate at Harvard's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative and at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, also an independent consultant and author. The book we're talking about is Computational Leadership. Computational, I've just learned from Brian, is about using the computing power to do human-centered interventions that are tailored to individual needs in real time and at scale. That's what we're looking for. The argument also is that you have to put together a cross-functional team that is targeted at solving a problem. Don't exclude the people that you're afraid might not have a job or they're worried about the job. Get them in so you make sure you capture all that tacit knowledge and you may be surprised at where solutions come from and better solutions even at that. All right. So, Brian, you have a saying. You say tech comes last. Why? Uh, yeah, I, I indeed have that saying. And uh, I think everyone knows me probably been very tired of me saying it all the time. But the phrase tech comes last highlights the importance of prioritizing strategy, people, and processes before implementing tech. So, while technology plays a crucial role in digital transformation, it should be seen as an enabler rather than the sole for focus. Uh, so what do I mean is like leaders need to define a clear digital strategy with their organizational goals and then identify the tech that supports that strategy. So by prioritizing strategy, people and processes first, leaders can sort of ensure that the, the tech investments are purposeful and aligned with the needs of the organization and its stakeholders. And I think those are the three words about the tech comes last is strategy, people, process first. Right. I like that you said tech is the enabler. And I'm going to add words you didn't say tech isn't the driver. 
So the moment we put tech in the driver's seat, we're likely to make a Tessa mistake all over again. That what we've got to do is start with what are we trying to achieve our strategy? Who are all of our cross-functional people that are involved? What do they know? What's the process? And the thing that I'm seeing most among my clients, if I can just take a moment to give them advice, is people are not spending enough time understanding the process. They've gotten the process so mucked up that there's no way you could come in with a tech solution because no one actually knows how it's really working in the first place. So tech is an enabler. People, sorry, strategy, people, process, and then tech. All right, cool. Now, do you have examples of where this has worked well? We just heard an example before the break about how it went badly wrong and certainly has a potential of damaging a group's reputation in a major way. Had they not caught it, could have also led to some pretty harmful outcomes. But what about successes? Yeah. So again, I go back to something that popped up on my LinkedIn feed uh, that really resonated with me. And and so this one is something I'm talking about now. Uh, so I recently came across an example about United Healthcare. Uh, so they recently adopted, uh, I think as of the 1st of July, uh, a zero dollar out-of-pocket expense benefit for virtual visits for eligible members, right? So the new coverage uh, enhancement, is it's designed to make remote and, and urgent care more well, affordable and convenient. So what this means is it's eliminating that out-of-pocket expense for virtual care can help improve uh, health equity uh, by reducing that burden of medical costs because it's zero for consumers and encourage um, earlier interventions to help with that public health side and, and more proactive uh, healthy behavior. Uh, and this can reduce the risk of complications. Uh, it can help us avoid visits to costlier settings, uh, such as emergency rooms, where you also then get a bottleneck uh, and when it should be reserved for people that are having true emergencies. Uh, and, and it can make care, again, more accessible and convenient. So for me, this is one where I think this is a great example of being digitally disciplined with transformation, using a, a more proven uh, technology uh, and doing it in, in a, a purposeful way uh, through through quite a bit of learning versus the Tesla alternative where it's, oh, this is flashy and buzzy. Let's, let's, let's roll with this thing. Yeah. And save money. All right. Yeah. So presumably to make virtual visits available, and I can understand for a whole bunch of population why that would work because there's the cost of getting there. There's yeah. the cost of childcare to get there. There's the lost time at work and getting there. It's easier to just not see a doctor. If you could see a doctor in a virtual location, a safe and secure virtual location, then that makes it much more accessible and you don't wait until there's a problem. I could see why that's useful. So I see the technology for the virtual visits, but presumably they did some data analytics at the front end of this to say, geez, this would actually help. Do you know if that's the case? Uh, Yeah, I mean... uh we, we know, I think, also just from, you know, I hate to keep bringing this up because I just wanted to go away, but it's not going to. But we know from like during COVID and, and extreme lockdowns that these telemedicine solutions yeah. were very effective. And, and, and that's sort of, I think, the silver lining that comes from the pandemic is that it, it was a great proving ground, whether we liked it or not, uh, to test technologies that work and solutions that work. Uh, and and this is, is one of them. And, and so... 
there's more than enough data out there uh, to show the uh, cost-effective benefits uh, of using telemedicine appropriately. And, and again, that goes back to being human-centered. We have to know that this is going to reduce stress and, and, and alleviate uh, concern and, and instead improve an individual's sense of, and I'll come back to this at one point, uh, this idea of competence and autonomy, meaning uh, I know that there's something wrong, I know how to fix it, and, I, and I'm free to do that without major cost. Right, right. Competence and autonomy. Okay, all right, great. I love that. No out-of-pocket cost for a virtual medical appointment. Yep. Okay, making it more affordable, more convenient, more accessible. Great example. All right. Is there a process you recommend people use as they're launching this journey? You know, thinking about a tech solution that they can use in real time and at scale? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I would say that I think you'd need to invite me back for a separate podcast to sort of <laughs> entirely unpack, unpack this process. I'm sure. Uh, but instead, what I can do is I like, give you a preview from my book. Uh, about navigating what I call navigating the four C's uh, okay. of digital transformation. Okay. And this isn't just me making stuff up. This is a a, a collection of uh, best practices from groups like IBM to uh, leading researchers uh, in the field uh, of digital transformation in healthcare as well. So I, I brought that all together and, and kind of uh, added a few little nuanced differences to it, I think, that, that help bring it up to date. The four C's, and I'll say them and just briefly explain. It's confirm, collect, construct, and convey. Confirm, collect, construct, and convey. So confirm is basically the ability to correctly identify and discover and define high-level priorities. Again, tech comes last. The first thing we have to really do is think about our strategies, our processes, and our people. Uh, so this stage, it's this stage in the process. It's all about streaming and divergent ideas from diverse perspectives, because that helps minimize any biases we might have and what we think priorities are and what we really need. Okay. The, the next step is collect, uh, and this is the ability to collect diver, divergent ideas and transform those divergent ideas into convergent action. So this is where we're starting to think of like, okay, these are the, we have the divergent ideas of what our priorities are. We've kind of identified it, and now we have to think about what are we, what are the potential solutions, and it's kind of bringing that all together into something that's workable. And here, it's about nurturing sort of that joint, quote unquote, ideation and, and collective action through compromise and the reduction of those personal agendas that tend to get in the way <laughs> when we're trying to like come up with solutions. Because we can come up with like these are the priorities, but somebody's personal agenda can can shift it away from what needs to be done to what wants to be done, if you know what right. I mean. Right, I do. So so that's that's the collect. Okay, now we start getting into more of the technical aspect of it. So we know what we want to solve. We know what we want to solve and, and how we want to kind of maybe go about solving it. Now we need to think about, okay, what are what's the data and technology that can help us uh, kind of uncover insights and, and, and leverage uh, solutions? And so this is this is the ability to start blending traditional leadership competencies like critical thinking and motivation to get people working together with technical competencies. Uh, and this is to translate these conceptual ideas that you come that, that generate out of these cross-functional teams into concrete technical terms. And that's related to things like scope, build requirements and constraints. And this is where you potentially see some friction between the conceptual yeah. drivers and the, the technical doers. 
Um, yeah. And that's where that sort of leadership for motivation and, and conflict resolution comes in. And this is all about finding a solution then that's best at, at matching business needs with technical capabilities through an iterative testing. So we get now to the prototyping, as it were. All right, we found what's going to work, and now it's time to start conveying that, the convey step to get it out. And that's that ability to then, and this is where like really good leadership comes in, um, it, it's that ability to promote solutions uh, down the formal hierarchy across to your peers within and between silos, your ability to influence your superiors and, and to go beyond by engaging with suppliers, customers, and any other external stakeholders. So this, this final step, it's all about providing guidance and direction and momentum across those organizational lines to spread and refine a shared solution among diverse stakeholders. Okay. So that's that process. Okay. You confirm what you need to do, you collect those ideas, you construct a solution, and then you convey that solution out to your stakeholders. Yeah, one, two, three, four sounds much easier than what every piece of that process is because, yes. <laughs> you know, confirming where the priorities are, I think an awful lot of people would say, um, I've been struggling with that for years. But at yes. least if we keep it in this one, this notion that we have a solution, an intervention that meets a particular need that is a priority for the company. You can imagine just saying what are the problems we need to solve and which ones of these are priorities. I could see getting that far, maybe. Yeah, Wanda, I, obviously, like I said, this is a preview. Deeper yeah. in my book, I, I, for instance, talk about tech solutions for actually helping to confirm what what is what's necessary in terms of priorities. So there's actually technology out there that that can help uh, use collective intelligence to uh, prioritize solutions. So th there's there's all these little tools that you can use the whole way throughout. Again, Great. too long for the for for the rest of this that. podcast, but uh, it's there and it's very effective. Okay, and also those have to be applied in a particular case because the abstract is one thing and then doing it in your company mm. is a really, is a completely different thing. So I've got this yeah. confirm, I got my priorities. And then this notion that I'm looking for a range of ideas. I can also imagine that that collect piece, divergent ideas that this is a place that tech could also support. We were talking about chat GPT yep. and others as yep. a way of mastering some divergent what could be possible. Now, presumably, I've got tech people with me on this cross-functional team so we don't go way off the map of what is humanly possible, feasible, <laughs> somewhere along the line. Yep. Okay? All right, yeah, and then definitely. I've got... Yeah. And then I've got to construct, which is where I'm trying to look for insights. I'm looking at what is it that we need to solve and how do we match that up with the tech and what's available, what's possible. And again, if the technology group hasn't been with you on this journey, this is a difficult place to come in. It also means that there are going to be lots of frictions, lots of trade-offs, lots of competing priorities, all with good intent, I'm going to say. And then the last is the convey which in my mind is the persuasive communication. Yep. Out of why I've convinced the world that this is A, a problem, B, a solution, and C, something we can actually do something about. Yep, yep. And I would say just one thing. Now, it depends. It's, it's really up to the leaders and how much friction you want to introduce. If you introduce potentially the, the technical uh, experts a little too early, they might over-constrain and limit imagination in a way. Uh, so it's really, I think, up to a leader how they want to play that. You know, if you want to like create a little extra friction, 
build a conceptual idea a little bit further out and then bring in and frustrate some of your tech people. But if you're a good leader and you can work on that conflict resolution, you might be able to thread that needle much better uh, than, uh, because what we don't want to do is over rely on, on, the, uh, on sort of just the tech. Again, we want to be right. human centered about this. So sometimes again, it's, it's best to start with more of the human centered experts and then we can, but th I think that's up to your organization and, and it's very context dependent. This is close to my heart because I believe that one of the essential leadership skills going forward, in fact, one of the people skills that's going to be needed is conflict. Yeah. The ability to deal with different perspectives, different ways of seeing the world, different priorities, different objectives, I mean, different everything, and bring that to some reasonable resolution in a uh, not by beating heads, but by doing something much more constructive. And you've just said that. We've got to have people that are willing to break open and explore what might be. And we have to have people who are willing to entertain the tough trade-offs that are going to be necessary to make it realistic. Absolutely. Those two seem like essential skills to me. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, I should also mention, we're almost out of time here too, Brian, that you have some lovely chapters in the book about how doing this kind of work and doing it in the process that you just identified is good for morale engagement, it's good for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it's also good for sustainability. You got a minute and a half. You want to give us the pitch on any one of those? Uh, yeah, I, I could go anywhere on that, but I, I think, uh, you know, let's, let's look at something like, uh, sustainability. So with regards to sustainability, I think emerging tech, uh, allows leaders to explore new opportunities for disrupting the status quo, boosting transparency and elevating accountability. So in my book for each of these chapters that talk about DEI, for instance, or morale and engagement or sustainability, I speak with senior leaders at, at world leading organizations. And for this one, uh, I, I spoke with uh, a senior leader who's a head of sustainability essentially for something called Tony's Chocolate Lonely. Now, they may not have heard of them, but they're a world leader in sustainable operations. Uh, and they have revolutionized what it means to have a traceable supply chain. So they've, from the ground up, built uh, something that they call a bean tracker. And it's every player in their network has to participate in this bean tracker platform. So it's a it's a transparent platform where all stakeholders, such as farmers, wholesalers, and exporters, for instance, uh, in the network see and have to enter information to trace every step uh, from what they call bean to bar. So again, it's not necessarily about what the features, but what they're trying, the solution. And here, the solution, it's about 100% traceability. So unsustainable, unfair practices have nowhere to hide in organizations or in supply chains or whatever. And I think that's one of the amazing things we can do with emerging technologies now is that we will be able to introduce this traceability. So again, unsustainable and unfair practices from be it the clothing industry and textile or be it something like chocolate will have nowhere to hide. Uh, and, and I think that's that's going to be an exciting future. Yeah, that's an, that's a great way to end this one and lots of good possibilities. Brian, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, where should they find you? Uh, you can find me at my my website, brianspishak.com, B-R-I-A-N-S-P-I-S-A-K.com. Uh, you can also just do a search for me on the internet and you'll likely find my, my Harvard profile and you can always send me an email there. And of course, you can come and find me on LinkedIn because you know I'll be there.
<laughs> I love Ed Bryan. The Bo Bryan Spisek, the book we we're talking about, Computational Leadership. Brian, thanks for an exciting conversation. Really a lot of fun. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Wanda. It's a pleasure. And join us next week for another episode in Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.